Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm David Sims. I'm a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers in our culture team, the shrunken head of Sophie Gilbert. (laughs) Hello, David. (laughs) It's funny because I've just been texting this back and forth to my sister since I saw the North. Like, Mm -hmm. we just every morning text each other back and forth. Willem Dafoe's shrunken head. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. And and Shirley Lee. What's another Northman joke I could make, Shirley? What what are you what are you doing? Are you covered in leaves? Are you are you a, a are you astrally projecting I'm, into this I, podcast? I can be I can be Shirley of the of the Birch Forest, right? That's what her character's name yes. is, Olga of the Birch that Forest. That is her name. Yeah, that give me a name. forest. Mm-hmm. And I I of course am David the Brotherless or whatever. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, today we are here to talk about the Northman, the new Robert Eggers movie that opened in theaters wide this weekend. The ninety million dollar sort of art house, you know, Viking epic from the director of The Witch mm-hmm. uh, and The Lighthouse, how to describe this. Our producer, Kevin, wrote Shakespeare for people who love CrossFit. I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is very, in very good shape. I, I, that, that, that is definitely yeah. a takeaway from The Northman. I was just like, I would not be able to keep up with these guys. It's kind of that like Jordan Peterson endorsed only raw horse meat diet. <laughs> right. They're mostly, they're, it's a lot of protein, a lot of cardio. I mean, clearly it's working. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, how do you expect to get across the North Sea or whatever? You know, it's it's a lot of rowing. You got to really have an engaged core. <laughs> um the Northman is, uh, yes, it's from Robert Eggers, and it's based on the legend of Prince Amleth, which is a sort of famous Scandinavian legend that is the loose inspiration for Hamlet, and it kind of follows the same beats to the extent that our editor, Jane, when she was editing my review of this, slacked me and was like, this sort of sounds like Hamlet or like the Lion King, and I was like, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's Hamlet. It's literally Hamlet. Like, that's what it is. It's about a young princeling of a Viking kingdom in the uh, late 9th century, early 10th century. He is the son of uh, King Ethan Hawke. And (laughs) just as he is becoming a man himself, he's having a sort of uh, rite of adulthood. His father is killed by his uncle, Fjolnir the Brotherless, played by the very tall, very handsome Danish actor, Kleis Bang. Kleis Bang. Kleis Bang. I'm just going to keep saying his name. And... He, the the boy Amleth flees and he vows revenge against the man who killed his father and uh, married his mother. His mother, of course, is played by Nicole Kidman. And well, the film's about, about two hours, 15 minutes of 
uh, him stewing and preparing for his his glorious vengeance. I mean, that's uh, you know, and can he be diverted from mm-hmm. this track, mm-hmm. or is it his ultimate destiny? Right, like that's the sort of thrust of it. Like he's made himself a creature of revenge, and is he going to pull it off? <laughs> and then Willem Dafoe's head, Willem Dafoe's head is there. He fights a skeleton at one point. I'm laughing because I feel like we're doing a disservice to this film, even trying to describe like what happens in it. To be clear, this is like my favorite movie of the year. I love this movie. Yes, I, I do too. I feel like we should just be like grunting and barking to explain right. them. Like we should be like, rawr, 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 and then like insert fart noise, fart noise. Rawr. We should be <laughs> drinking horse's blood on our hands and knees <laughs> in the bottom of a cave. Exactly, children. <laughs> yeah, all that should be our primeval growing into adulthood ritual feral yeah maybe next week i don't have any horse's blood right now um sophie i actually think you saw <laughs> this film first because you went to the premiere in london it was kind of hilarious because it wasn't i would say quite the people who had been invited weren't maybe the director robert eggers's target audience there were a lot sure. of like scouse tiktokers <laughs> yeah. so after the movie was over they are the viking princelings of, of modern times I was perhaps hearing for the ladies room and there are all these people in like 70 inch lime green heels kind of trying to talk about what they just oh, seen. No. and oh, their no. interpretations of it i have to say well they should probably be on the show today because um it was just really funny because they seemed <laughs> kind of perturbed by the movie as as was i to be fair it's very mm. stabby it's so violent it is, yeah. quite it is yes it was it was it was a, 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 a shock and gore fest um I, it's it, light on gore i would say a lot of stabbing i would yeah. not have thrived in viking times this is not a movie about an era i want to exist in that is for well, sure this is the interesting thing like clearly the people who made this movie are fascinated with these viking myths and and i i, I am interested in in why like what is the point of this two hour story of ritual blood drinking blood smearing disembowelment decapitation and death for everybody i don't know sophie don't you ever get the urge to be feral and violent and earthy and magical and (laughs) i don't my interpretation is robert eggers has been cooped up for a while and he got a lot of money to do (laughs) what he loves doing which is treat historical texts and myths with absolute zeal and Mm -hmm. make everything on screen almost tangible you can smell how Mm -hmm. dirty Mm -hmm. everything is and you can almost taste the blood and the smoke in the air and and the like this is it's grimy and it's dirty and it's fucked up (laughs) and i don't know if there's a point to it aside from like you go you go maximal because you haven't been able to i mean the last movie he did was about two guys cooped up in a lighthouse right and it's also Mm -hmm. blurring the lines between myth and reality this is the space that he likes playing in he's he's a geek <laughs> sorry my entire interpretation of this movie remains just fart noise bark fart noise blood like <laughs> well <laughs> uh that might not sustain us for an hour surely no uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry uh, um he is a geek i've met robert eggers uh i've interviewed him a couple times and he really does seem <laughs> like the kind of guy. it's my job <laughs> It's my job, guys. I mean, I meet the filmmakers. No, I mean, I no, I just he is the kind of guy who knows, or at least wants to know, like what kind of spoon you know a Viking ate soup with, or you know, it's it's not just like uh, like he he's obsessed with the most minute detail, which you know suits a filmmaker, obviously. Like he's crafting something visual, like you know, it's fine. He's that kind of a technician, but uh, 
it would be easy to make a Viking movie that is, you know, guys with big horn, Hager the Horrible, right? You know, guys with big <laughs> horned helmets, drinking beer and yelling at each other. And I don't Thor, know. basically. Yeah, Thor. Yeah, there you go. Thor, right. We've had a yeah. lot of pseudo-Scandinavian myth in in our superhero films for quite a while now. And I don't think the Northman is like, well, let me, sh-, you know, like, you guys need to understand. Like, it, it, it was a lot nastier or something. It, it's more just sort of like, can we tell these kinds of tales with a little more you know respect and context for the actual world that they were talking about not not just making it the cover of a heavy metal album or whatever yeah i realize we've been laughing a lot but also like he takes it completely seriously but in a good way Mm -hmm. exactly exactly. i think in a good way some people might not right yeah (laughs) in a yeah no this is is not a film that contains humor at at all yeah it's pretty light on the laughs i would say which is funny because the lighthouse is pretty much a a straightforward comedy i find the lighthouse hilarious and i I don't think that's a mistake like you know that is certainly kind of a weird romantic comedy between those two characters but the witch which this film is very reminiscent of and so you know the witch is is Mm. is like this Mm -hmm. i mean my whole my whole thing with the witch was like that felt like a story a puritan was telling me about a family that left town and got you know messed with by witches Mm -hmm. it just didn't have any kind of modern askance you know sort of uh self-awareness to its storytelling like it was trying to be as straightforward as possible and like they there is a witch yeah this is not like some metaphor or some nightmare that's happening Mm -hmm. there's a witch out there in the woods and the northman seems to have a similar just straightforwardness to it it's like we are in viking times yes there's little moments like he fights a skeleton and eggers lets you see him also just pick plucking the sword out of the skeleton's arms so you'll see a bit of fantasy and then you'll sort of see like maybe this is a little inflated in his head but it's a movie where magic and warfare like you know gritty warfare are kind of on the same playing field your strength breaks men's bones ah! i have the cunning to break their minds it's a little disconcerting to see this while we're in the middle of this huge war for no reason in which you know tens of thousands of people are dying it's just it's a little Mm. bit like okay we really have not evolved at all as a race we're still doing this the film though isn't like an overt celebration of no all of that right it like points out how stupid it is that's any point of view it's just kind of matter of fact nihilist almost I would say it has a bit of a point of view. To spoil the Northman, Amleth goes off and becomes Alexander Skarsgård. A, a dream we've all had of you know, <laughs> turning into Alexander Skarsgård when time flashes forward. And he's a super ripped warrior, berserker, berserker. who just raids coasts and puts families to the sword and Rawr. does whatever, you know. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he finally... Well, we can talk uh, about some of the other stuff that happens, but he does finally find his uncle and his mother living in Iceland, uh, no longer kings of a vast kingdom, but, you know, still lords of a sort of farm. (laughs) And um, (laughs) Kind of a come down. And he has spent his whole life plotting his glorious revenge and honing himself into a living weapon and all that. And he, you know finally gets there and it's this what was it all for feeling it's like uh-huh. great so now i'm gonna kill a farmer and like he 
you know, he sees his mom and he's like, mom, I'm here to rescue. And she's like, your dad was annoying and I never liked him. And I totally encouraged your uncle to kill him and I'm better off. So go away. Thanks. Like, I'm not interested. Like, so there's nothing particularly powerful about what he is eventually enacting, except that he he pulls it off like that. You know, like, so, yeah, there is there is a hollowness to his fate. And I do think. Eggers is interested in the push and pull between like, yeah, do you just sort of have to do, you know, what you've spent your whole life wanting to do or, or can you diverge from your path? And, you know, he, he comes down on the side of like, no, we're mostly stuck on these tracks. Like, but I, I do think that is a point of view and it is somewhat yeah. critical. Yeah. I think one of the reasons I didn't love the Northman is I'm just, I'm like exhausted with masculinity run wild right now. I kept thinking about it in Congress with, um, it's not the same time period, it's probably 300 years later, but uh, last year I wrote about the author, Lauren Groff had a new book out about medieval nuns in the 12th century called Matrix, and that to me is the exact opposite of this movie. I mean, it's a similarly kind of dank, uh, really chilly, uh, mired in mud, uh, set in a nunnery in England and it's cold and freezing and everyone's starving and it, and it's gory, but it's, it's an island of women. I think Lauren Groff said she wrote it after Trump's election because she was exhausted by the spectacle of like masculinity every day, everywhere, mm. everywhere you go. And so she wanted to imagine this like matriarchal community. And it, it, it's really fascinating to think about it next to the Northmen because they're just so, <laughs> they're so different. In the one, you have these men fulfilling their manly urge to rape and pillage and conquer and stab. And in the other, you have these women thinking like, how can we heal? And that makes it sound way less fun and interesting than it is um, that I would <laughs> I would recommend reading. And it did have issues with this, shall we say, slightly toxic masculinity at the core of this movie. Um, I did appreciate that unlike, say, Game of Thrones, like, you can imagine that there's a lot of sexual violence happening, but you're not really party to any of it. And general sort of war crimes as well, you know. Right, right. We're just violence generally. He's not really doing anything except getting off the boat when he's being a berserker and, you know, charging at armies or whatever. But it's not in service of anything particularly good. They're just raiders. They're just, you know, mm-hmm. so step, whatever step, village step. they chance upon just gets put to the torch or whatever, right? And people get rounded up and sold as slaves and and it's not it's not a good society that he's a part of that is in the land of the rus uh where (laughs) that is happening which is essentially the russian coast which was uh, i guess sort of uh, part of the world back then was that there was the sort of various scandinavian empires in norway and sweden and denmark and so on but uh and then in england they did conquer england uh, for a bit but then they would go raiding all over the you know the coasts and then Iceland mm-hmm. was like an uninhabited island mm-hmm. that they went to and they, you know, they're basically like, look, if you want to like run a farm out here, no one's really going to bother you because it's just sort of this bizarre remote place. And that's that's where the back half of this movie takes place. My favorite thing about this pod is when David does historical mini lectures like Anne of Cleves. Remember Anne of Cleves? <laughs> oh, I remember don't Anne of Cleves. Still one of the highlights of my Anne of Cleves life. around me. Anne of Cleves is the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the middle chunk of this movie, so you know, the beginning is the, the opening sequence where he has his little Viking bar mitzvah with Ethan Hawke is a lot of fun and is 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 all trippy and weird and Willem Dafoe is there, uh, and then then he's a berserker, and then the the end of the movie is the big showdown. But the middle of the movie is sort of the weirdest, most ambiguous parts because Amleth does seem guided by 
mystical fate, right? Like he's seeing visions of Bjork telling him where to go and he mm-hmm. he fights this skeleton to claim a magic sword and he talks to Willem Dafoe's head, you know, who sort of fills him in on what's been going on in the last 20 years, which is obviously a, a reference to Yarick. But um, at the same time, when he's on that farm with his uncle and he's pretending to be an enslaved person and he's just sort of like, you know, trying to get the lay of the land, I'm immediately just thinking like, wh- what is gained by you trashing this place essentially you're gonna kill a bunch of randos like you know like what 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 is what is what is your purpose here in this place that seems pretty much peaceful like after the first chunk of this movie which is all you know death and destruction i mean you could argue that it's a place that's run on slave labor no it's not good i'm not saying it's a utopia (laughs) david Uh, is saying it's idyllic (laughs) But but he's not there being like, whoa, I have to free the slaves. He's like, no, 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 I have to kill my mm-hmm. uncle, maybe my uncle's son, maybe this guy, <laughs> like, you know, I maybe mean, my we, mother, we, nah, probably not, but I, I'm mad at her, you know, like, he's going after the, the top people. Mostly. Masculinity, it's directionless. We've made it this far somehow without getting into his mantra. No one has said it once. And actually, my favorite thing about the Northman was that after I went to see the Northman, uh, Shirley sent me a message that was three <laughs> sentences all in caps i will avenge you father i will save you mother i will kill you fuel it and it was just the best thing that's ever happened to me so thanks Shell. it is a great mantra but it is also i mean there are limits to that mantra mm. you go from mm. being a princeling to being alexander skarsgård and you think this is all you want and then the reality you know hits you and you don't know what to do so you just start pulling pranks on this farm that enslaves people and you just start killing <laughs> He does do some You are directionless. Yeah. (laughs) It's all... He's... Yeah, he doesn't have direction, really, even though he has... I mean, he does have three things in mind. But that's not enough. Masculinity is not enough. I will avenge you, father! I will save you, mother! I will kill you, Fiona! I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, Fiona. Can we talk about Nicole? Because this was a part of the movie that... genuinely loved mm-hmm. you know you see her in this movie and you're like okay she's going to be in a couple scenes you know um she looks really nice that's great but her performance was thrilling to me i mean she's the main twist right like past that confusing middle half she she ties everything back together because she proves that one of his target goals was futile the whole time right. she she, do, she doesn't want to be saved she's fine I love this Kidman performance. This is the the Kidman I want. I know we're not allowed to use this word, but it's very iconic. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. It's iconic. It's sly. It proves that heartbreak feels good in a place like this. It's it's Queen Nicole doing her thing. (laughs) And I do love, like you said, that she and Close Bang actually seem to be perfectly matched. This this very hot, ageless couple living on a farm. not being sad that her ex-husband's dead at all, that her <laughs> right. son is presumably dead. Uh, right. I mean, like when we see Ethan Hawke early on, we're mm-hmm. seeing him through the eyes of this little boy who idolizes his dad. And Ethan Hawke seems like this paragon of kingliness, right? He's got a great head of hair. It's great he's, costume. He's have, oh, yeah. Right. He's ha- he's right. Ethan Hawke is fairly inherently lovable. Yeah. Uh, but it's not hard when Nicole Kidman gives this big monologue later in the film to, you know, sort of look at it in a different light and be like, right, of course, like, 
a Viking king might not have been the easiest hang in the world. Like that, that guy, that guy who's always going off and conquering other towns or whatever, like may have been in fact a fairly unloving husband. Like, and, and that is essentially what she's saying. He's, well, he's, the, his whole paragon of masculinity thing was essentially him just, you know, treating his wife like uh, a servant. Well, this was a moment I particularly appreciated too, because I think there's the implication maybe that she herself was taken as his sex slave yes. before she began and then she bought him right. a son so she became his queen and that actually right. she was raped by him this kind of paragon of king linus who's held up at the beginning of the movie and there's been a lot of this kind of historical revisionism in fiction particularly as as it transcribes to myth like there have been a lot of books recently that have been telling the story of the trojan war from the women's point of view which you know is not one that homer truly mm. paid that much attention to um mm. so there's been this sort of this trend in reinventing not in reinventing but reimagining heroes like say achilles from the point of view of the women who they raped and enslaved and so this for this i mean it was it was not subtle it's not like done in a lot of textual depth but it was it was a moment that i felt like satisfyingly like you said shelly a good twist a real good kind of subversion of this very otherwise standard masculine tale i'm not familiar with the um the original epic transcribed mm. by Saxo Grammaticus <laughs> in history of the Danes. So I, I don't know if this adaptation or whatever you want to call it is accurate to that. But it does feel, I mean, it is Shakespearean in its DNA. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, Gertrude is in Hamlet is not quite so nakedly happy to be no. uh, married to Claudius. Um, but uh, she, she accepts it like you know it, it, there's ambiguity in hamlet too as to what the situation is there right because obviously in hamlet you're with hamlet the whole time and he's god love him you know he's a bit of a nutter uh, yeah. to use an englishism <laughs> and so you know it does seem like part of the thing that's driving him crazy is that he can't understand why his mother would put up with you know being married to his usurping <laughs> uncle and all yeah, that he's a little obsessed with their sex life in a slightly creepy way Wait, you, you think mm-hmm. Hamlet's a bit of an obsessive? That guy? The guy? I don't know. <laughs> He's pretty <Erotic>. chill. What? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, actually, then the Nicole Kidman's character is not a, a complete copy of Gertrude, and and Olga is not a copy of Ophelia. She she's not moping about. She has Earth powers. <laughs> you know, there's a mirroring that does happen though in that in this film, uh, Amleth meets. The lovely Olga of the Birch Forest, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who both helps him in his mission and falls in love with him, and he falls in love with her. They hang out in a hot tub at one point. <laughs> yes, thank you, David. <laughs> um, well, no, what I want to try to say is that he gets her pregnant, and there is this moment in the movie where you do think, okay, he's actually abandoning his holy mission. He's going to go off to the Orkney Islands with his... Uh, Beautiful you know, whatever, wife. common-law wife, mm-hmm. uh, yes. And... Um, and they'll raise a family together and who cares? And then there's this moment where he sort of sees this vision of when he realizes she's pregnant, his vision of his children as part of this big like family tree that he's hallucinated before, the sort of mm-hmm. the tree of kings, everyone holding swords and crowned and all that. And he's like, you know what? As long as my uncle's alive, we'll always be in danger. I got to go. That's his excuse, right? He leaves her and he goes off to fight his uncle. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, they both kill each other in an epic, you know, one decapitation, one stab, naked, uh, (laughs) final blow, sort of Street Fighter 2 moment. But 
I also think that he has the the sort of you know s- the subliminal self awareness of like I'm just like my dad. Like I, I I'm not I'm not gonna mm-hmm. be a good father or anything like that. I'm only good for one mm-hmm. thing. Like this this is all I can do. And at the end of the movie, when he's dead, and he is dead. I hate to admit it, but he's not alive. Rip. He's pretty dead. You s- rip. Uh, <laughs> you see him entering Valhalla on a goddamn Pegasus and he's so happy and I was watching this movie and I was I enjoyed this movie the whole time I was having a good time watching it I found myself like choking up I was like he did it the crazy bastard he did it he got to Valhalla he got what he wanted and like it is that weird kind of like that is the only fate he can have like even if he even if it's entirely in his head and he's actually just a corpse melting on a volcano yeah it would be no use herding sheep on the orkney islands probably and he, he lives on in legend muttering about avenging his mother or whatever what yeah that's a poor use of his abs even though that moment i do feel like comes you know so quickly because everything is moving at the pace that sophie was talking about where it's just like plot point plot point plot point like he just dives off the ship right he's like bye olga <laughs> you're gonna have yeah. twins so I you'll be go. fine <laughs> yeah i gotta yeah. bye keep an eye on her okay <laughs> you and goodbye yeah, you'll be fine now <laughs> yeah it's, it's all it, it is really fast but i do appreciate that the film does make a point not to cast him as, as the hero right all of it the, the fact that his mother is not happy to see him, the, the fact that, you know, he, he is directionless, the fact that he ends up doing this, like, it's all, it's all like, oh, man, this fool, you know, if you... He's a bit of a fool. Yeah, if you take away from this film that, like, that he's a hero and that the idea that he's powerful, I think you're, you're missing what the film is saying about the foolishness of this endeavor. David, what do you make of its financial prospects? Because I know originally it was supposed mm. to be a $60 million bloodthirsty Viking movie that then became, because of COVID, a $90 million, much bigger deal. I just read an article where apparently the people who funded this movie are mad that Eggers keeps saying it costs $90 million because they're like, it didn't cost that much. It cost a lot <laughs> less. We got a lot of tax breaks. It's more like $70 million. Stop making it sound so expensive. Sure. But I think Eggers likes that he's like, look, this was this was an absolutely massive scale thing. I think what's most fascinating, Sophie, is that he's someone who's worked on small scales. Like, you know, yeah. uh, uh, mm-hmm. his last two films were made for Edge 24, uh, which works on a much smaller scale. And I mean, those movies are good and they were hits. The Witch was a huge hit versus its yeah. budget. So like, I can understand maybe he could be like, look, it's a big Viking drama. I'm going to get some big actors. It's going to have action. Like, you know, like, you know, I, if you can give me the money. I'll, I'll spend it well. But certainly this is not the time where a movie like this is just automatically going to crush at the box office. It, it actually did all right, you know, by the standards of a hard R two hour 15 movie, I would say. But, you know, it, it gets depressing, the box office talk, because like you want Hollywood to make these kinds of movies, obviously. You know, you don't want them to just make movies about crimes of Grindelwald and secrets of Dumbledore and, you know, throw good money after bad on like intellectual property that's gone sour. Like you, 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 you want mm-hmm. something uh, you like want this, fresh. but um, right. But uh, it's probably not going to like make its budget back theatrically is the, you know, does that matter? Uh, you know, for Robert Eggers, probably not. He got to make uh, this big, cool movie, but <laughs> I do wonder if like, it'll scare studios off from taking risks anytime a movie like this becomes a sort of noted big budget folly. Yeah. Really see this person who, who 
true auteur style just has this vision that he wants to commit to screen. You could say that in some ways he is like Amleth and this is, this is his path. But also it's kind of fascinating trying to fit that kind of vision into conventional Hollywood filmmaking and deal making and so in some ways like like you said david it's fantastic that he succeeded in getting this made right go for it yeah. go for yeah. it eggy all this stuff lives on streaming now anyway it's all a longer mm. play blah 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 but it is worth seeing yeah. the northman in a theater because it's loud and crunchy and uh you get to see yeah. alexander skarsgård catch a spear in midair and throw it back uh things like that that are fun should we talk more about uh the medieval films of the past year <laughs> I do feel like Green Knight and Last Duel, even though they're hugely different films, are both trying to recontextualize life in these worlds, right? Like trying to give it a little more than just the usual costume drama treatment that you would expect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially The Last Duel. The Last Duel is very much about like medieval court in France was a lot of preening ego and Mm -hmm. the warfare in that movie. The minute you see it from another perspective, it just seems like ridiculous and pointless and all that. And obviously that movie is all about personalities and, and, and how they see themselves and how, when you see it from someone else, I mean, the last duel is a really good movie. I don't know if you guys like the last duel. No, I I really like the last duel. We talked a little bit about the last duel on an episode. We haven't talked about the Green Knight, but I, I I like all three of these films, and I think they're all playing in the medieval space in ways that you don't expect. I like this trend. I know I've been I've been talking rather boringly about books too, but like, what do you think is the impetus that is driving, let's say, creators to think about this period right now, this medieval era? I talked about this with Jane a little bit a long while back when I was like high off of having just seen the Green Knight, you know, and another film where I was like, yeah. <laughs> throw this at me <laughs> um and and <laughs> i do like medieval shit as someone who grew up in jersey and went to medieval times quite a Aww. few times <laughs> yeah i remember a discussion happening back when the green knight had come out just about this fact that maybe maybe there's this interest in these time periods and this genre because we have been living in a world where rules don't feel like rules and Medieval times, for, for better or worse, were they functioned by rules. <laughs> there was a way to be honorable and there was a way to be decent. And it was all spelled out, right? Black and white. And there's something appealing about playing in that world. That's really interesting because I would I would say, too, that there's also a little bit of the opposite element of that, too, which is just it was so friggin' hard mm. to survive. Like you could go outside, step on a rock, cut your foot be dead the next mm. day of a horrible infection you could get the plague you could starve to death you know, like life expectancy was very short and so when you don't have the same expectation of survival like what what really matters like i i find that i mean it's a slightly different version of what you were saying but i, I find it really compelling like and certainly in yeah. in the northman i mean it just death seems fated whatever you do like you're gonna end up on the end of someone's mystical sword or you're gonna fall in a volcano or you're gonna you know jump in a yeah. river running away from your twins and and you know drown i <laughs> don't so, so do whatever you can yeah. to be memorable at the very least, right? Like to be remembered. you want to have a legacy, you want to be talked about mm-hmm. yeah, and, a- and sung about in a in a poem. Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't want a nice song? The, <laughs> the Ballad of Shirley, right? Oh. You know, that'd be fun. I'm going to write this for next week. The Ballad of Shirley. <laughs> it's just fart noises. I don't know, guys. <laughs> 
All right, let's finish with a recommendation. What is a Shakespeare adjacent work you think people should check out? Is there like a Shakespeare adaptation you want to see? I think we're overdue a new adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing. <gasps> mm. Keanu. There is the, the version with... It's uh, very tiny. Keanu. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, right. yeah, It's a problematic play. Like all of Shakespeare's plays are kind of problematic in their own reason. But the treatment of hero, I think, is extremely dark and would resonate in this modern time. Otherwise, we could do like kind of Amleth style. We could do Othello, but put the O at the end and just do Thelu. <laughs> no, the joke only makes sense if it's written down. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you just opened a can of worms. <laughs> Change Macbeth to Egbeth. <laughs> Omior and Uliet. All right, all right, all right. I'm, re- I'm reeling sorry, you in. I'm Put me in, Coach. I'm sorry. No, I'm taking you out, Coach. Um, my favorite Shakespeare is "Loves Labor's Lost," which. Um, which Kenneth Branagh did attempt to translate to film like 20 years ago and it's sort of one of his most yeah. notorious disasters. Although it's not an uninteresting that. movie. Um, but that play, um, I just love the sort of bifurcated, like uh, things are going great and then things are not going so great. And I feel like if someone could pull that tonal switch off in that, that would be so cool. I don't know. There's a lot of Shakespeare that is just tough to do right like mm-hmm. you yeah. know and people are always gonna try it like julie Taymor did the tempest you know it didn't really no one really cared uh there's never been a very good king lear on film which is sort of crazy to think about like well, there's a lot of considering now, so. we've played with corporate king lear multiple but this times. is the yeah. thing obviously there are many yeah. many things that 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 have have a, a finger in the shakespeare pie or whatever but yeah no it's <laughs> i mean i don't know it's it's funny to think about <laughs> Now that you brought up Julie Taymor, I don't know if I can fully recommend it, but now I have the urge to watch Titus. Titus looks mm. good, if nothing else. I mean, she's another one of those like maximalist filmmakers who can like. Right. I am gonna make some popcorn and just toss it in my mouth watching Titus Andronicus. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's um, a crazy yeah. movie. That's one of those movies where they shot it, you know, in those Italian studios yeah. in Rome, where you could build whole cities and stuff. It's a cool movie. Well, when I first heard this question, the first thing that came to mind actually is more of a recent thing. I, I really liked, this is Shakespeare adjacent, right? I, I After I finished Station Eleven, HBO Max is Station Eleven, I really liked it um, and what it had to say about a world in which art is more than just distraction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't on board in, in the beginning as fully as I had wanted to because I was a huge fan of the novel, but as the show went on and it was taking on new ideas and layering them onto the the book that it's based on, I became fully immersed in what it was trying to do. And that's a show that I think I, I've been thinking about more than I thought I would. And it is Shakespeare adjacent in terms of like, it, it's following a, a Shakespeare acting troupe after the end of the world. <laughs> um, well, that does it for the show. Uh, we have avenged father. Have we? Did, <laughs> we have we saved mother. Saved mother. We will now we have killed Fionnier. We will now be ascending to Valhalla. <laughs> Which <laughs> should each of us take one of the lines? 
No. Sorry. <laughs> I talked through. Okay. Oh, I like that idea, Shells. All right, fine. <laughs> uh, I have avenged you, father. I have <laughs> killed you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough. Enough. <laughs> I have no. I actually, he does kill his mother in the end, so it's it's good. That's true. He doesn't want <laughs> to, but but uh, yeah, kind of no, forces his hand she there. She gets, she get, yeah. They all I, get a knife in the belly. That's great. I have also killed you, Fjolnir. <laughs> in a volcano. Uh, Fjolnir the Brotherless. We are now all in Valhalla. That does it for the show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcast is Claudina Bade. Our art is by Charlie Lemignon. Uh, I'm David Sims. Thanks, Shirley. Arv, arv. Thanks, Sophie. Skull, I guess. Skull. Thank you, David. All right, bye, guys. Bye. Bye. As soon as I found out Olga was having twins, I was like, no, Amleth, you need to go and fight Clay Steinick in the volcano. It is easier. <laughs> Trust me. Right, right. As, as a mother of twins, you were like, give me the volcano. <laughs>